Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlo, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlo's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlo's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE. You know things are bad for the Democrats when their most prominent governor is joining us, the conservatives, in predicting a red wave next Tuesday. Does it feel like a red wave? Yeah, of course it does. And and again, uh, uh, I'm not paid to say that. I'm paid to say... You know, we faint and feel. I mean, I get it. Look, I mean, I could be the cheerleader. I'm also a pragmatist. You feel it. Of course it does. Now, do you ever listen to Huey Lewis in the news? Governor Bateman, he's, he's right on this, okay? The guy is a stone-cold psychopath, and he's looking at the situation, and he's saying, yeah, of course it looks and feels and seems like a red wave. If water pipes don't break in Georgia and ballots are not submitted days after the election in Philadelphia, then it certainly does feel like a red wave. Now, Gavin Newsom has something of an ulterior motive here for pessimism. He is the top Democrat prospect to replace Joe Biden in 2024. So the the worse that Biden is perceived to be governing, the better things are for Newsom. But Newsom is not alone in predicting this red wave on the Democrat side. And while Newsom seems rather placid about the whole situation, the other Democrats are not. They are now going on TV, warning that a GOP win on Tuesday will mean political violence, the end of democracy, and even the wholesale slaughter of children. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Connor Schoenfeld, who says Biden did not double down on his mega MAGA threat to democracy speech yesterday. He just forgot that he already gave the speech a couple of weeks ago. You make a good point. Maybe it was not a double down. The staff probably thought of it as a double down, but Biden, he probably just thought, wow, I'm, this is going to be the greatest speech I've ever given. Did I tell you the one? Did I tell you the one, Jack, about how the Republicans are fascists? Uh, yes. No, no, Mr. President, tell me that one again. Well, Jack, you see, I don't know, I want to, before I make that point, I want to tell you, did you know the Republicans are fascists? Uh, uh, Wow, really interesting point, Joe Biden. It's just going to be on and on and on like Groundhog Day. Now, when you want to say things that are interesting, not really silly platitudinous talking points, but things that are interesting and matter, when you want to tell those things to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, head on over to puretalk.com, enter code Knowles. Biden's administration has taken to Twitter to assault Shell and ExxonMobil for posting record profits. Unsurprisingly, however, they've turned a blind eye to every other industry. What about the billions of dollars made by big pharma, big tech, even big wireless? Verizon, ATT, T-Mobile, they all post billions in profits every single quarter. Why doesn't the administration call out those massive companies? When it comes to buying gas, 
you don't have many choices. Sure, you may have a couple of cents at one gas station versus another, but it's a global commodity. You do have choices when it comes to choosing a wireless company. That is why you need to check out Pure Talk. Switching to Pure Talk can save you 50% off your current bill every single month. You could be paying $30 per month for talk, text, and data. Your family could be saving almost $1,000 per year for the same coverage, for the same service you have right now. A veteran-owned, proudly American company, Pure Talk doesn't overcharge their customers to keep their shareholders happy. You can switch to their service today in as little as 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com, enter code Knowles to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Knowles for 50% off your first month. The end of democracy is upon us. And the liberals are saying this is the case, not just because the politicians are saying it, but because even very serious, necktie-wearing, dark blazer-having presidential historians say so. The man who made this claim on TV is a guy named Michael Beschloss, who is always billed as presidential historian. And he sort of is, but it's stretching it a little bit. Uh, Michael Beschloss is not an academic historian. Michael Beschloss is a guy with a BA in poli-sci from Williams, who then went to Harvard Business School. And he writes history, so I'm not saying that he's not and historian in any sense of the word, but you know, the guy is not Samuel Eliot Morrison, okay? The guy is not, not Thucydides that we're talking about. Really, this guy's function in public life is to go on liberal news channels and whine about Republicans. That's, that's his main activity. The fact that he writes books about the presidents is uh, <laughs> it's a kind of tangential, actually, to what he actually does in public life. But his utility for the libs is that they can bring him on and they can say, he's a presidential historian. Tell us, presidential historian, what you think of the situation. And he'll always say, well, from my very serious, uh, highly credible position of authority as an historian, I want to tell you that the Republicans are very bad (laughs) and the Democrats are very good. And so that's what he's doing now, except they're turning the rhetoric up to 11. And Beschloss actually believes if the Republicans win on Tuesday, well, I'll let him tell you in his own words. Well, he was absolutely candid and he was absolutely right, because as you know, Chris, six nights from now, we could all be discussing violence all over this country. There are signs that that may happen. May God forbid that uh, losers will be declared winners by fraudulent uh, election officers or secretary of state candidates or governors or state legislatures, we could be six days away from losing our rule of law and losing a situation where we have elections that we all can rely on. You know, those are the foundation stones of a democracy. A historian 50 years from now, if historians are allowed to write in this country, and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which, which I'm not certain of, But if that is true, a historian will say what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. What? Hold on. I was I was tracking it. I mean, it's total hack partisan nonsense, but hey, that's MSNBC and that's what Michael Beschloss does. So I was tracking it. You know, it's a threat to democracy. Okay, we've heard that before. And and this was the moment. The 2022 midterm elections, <laughs> the, the congressional elections, that 
That was the point at which we lost the rule of law and the historians were all sent to the gulag and our children were arrested and conceivably killed. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? It's, it's even worse than what the hell are you talking about? It's even worse than absurd because not only are the Republicans not doing that, the Democrats are doing that and actually campaigning on that. The Democrats not only encouraged political violence for the past three years, not very high level people bailing rioters out of the BLM riots, bailing the violent people out, encouraging people to illegally protest outside of Supreme Court justices' houses, encouraging Democrats to push back on Republicans in public and to go to their homes where their children sleep, encouraging people. Hillary Clinton said, don't be civil with Republicans. You can't be civil with them. So not only have the Democrats encouraged the political violence, not only are the Democrats the ones suppressing speech, suppressing people who make historical claims, suppressing people who dissent from the current ruling regime through the enforcement of big tech, through monthly meetings from the federal government that they control to the allegedly private companies that control the public square saying, don't let these people speak. Don't let the New York Post run a story on Hunter Biden's laptop. Don't let anyone question COVID. Don't let anybody question election fraud. Don't let anybody do this. Not only are they doing that, they are explicitly running on killing children. This election, this one in particular, the Democrats, because they were losers on every single issue, the economy, immigration, foreign policy, policy, the list goes on and on. They chose to run primarily on abortion. They actually, they said, okay, the Dobbs decision overrules Roe v. Wade. And so we are going to stake our campaign specifically on the alleged right to kill babies. I know that when the Democrats make accusations, it's really projection and it's really confession. And we all know that. But it, what's amazing about Michael Beschloss, maybe he really is an historian. Maybe he really does have some academic chops because it's, what's amazing is the absolute precision of projection here. He is putting on the Republicans with no evidence whatsoever, the stuff that the Democrats are campaigning on. The rule of law could be over. Bro, you guys were just campaigning on abolishing the police <laughs> and not enforcing some of our most basic laws. What are you talking about? And bailing criminals out of prison, which Kamala Harris did and staffers for Biden did. The, the Republicans want to kill babies. No, man, that's what, that's not only what you, you guys do, that's, that's your platform. And you, and you see this now. You don't need to take my word for it. I mean, you've all seen this, obviously, in our culture for many years. But even this week, even as the abortion issue has been such a loser for Dems in the midterm elections, they're doubling down on it. This week on The View, those sort of cackling hens of the liberal establishment came out, and they're, they're furious. Because the abortion issue has not worked to bring the women over to the Democrat Party, they don't change their views on it. They don't have any introspection. They just attack the women who are voting for Republicans as cockroaches. I read a, a poll just yesterday that white Republican suburban women are now going to vote Republican. Why? It's almost like roaches voting for raid, right? It's, it's I think like that's they're that's voting, no, it's they're voting against, the voter. We, they're we, voting no, against no. their own self-interest. Do they want to live in Gilead? Okay, do so do we love it in the hands? Do we love tail? democracy or not? Because just saying that it's it's insulting to the voter. People make up decisions on what's right for their family, and the idea that well, the you should have a say women, for everyone else's vote. The fact that women are voting against you their own You had a different view on abortion not I, that long ago, and you involved on it. I have that view, but that issue is right. 
then why? But then why is another woman but not I am very able to have a different view? That white Republican suburban women. But why are if voting you so recently evolved on the issue? That'll probably win them over, don't you think? When when you have voters that you're trying to court who reject you and your platform, the the way to win them over is to insult them and call them cockroaches and idiots, right? Hey, idiot roaches, you got to vote for me, dummies. You dumb, disgusting people. Vote for me. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Let's try that one until next Tuesday. Please keep that going. And it's so offensive, but you hear the you hear this argument from Democrats all the time, and they apply it to black people and Hispanics and all the rest. They say, you're voting against, and they apply it to the working class, you're voting against your own interest. And, and they're so smug about it. They say, it's in your interest to vote for us Democrats, because we'll give you money and we'll let you kill your babies. Did it ever occur to these women, to these Democrats broadly, that maybe mothers don't consider it in their interest to kill their own children? Did they, have they ever considered that maybe workers don't consider it in their own interest to vote for a party that is going to destroy the energy industry, potentially plunge the world into World War III, and cause record high inflation, which disproportionately affects the poor? Did they ever consider that it might not be in the interest of black people to vote for a party that wants to get rid of all the cops and, and allow neighborhoods that are already rife with crime to become even more criminal and dangerous? Did it ever occur to them? Did it ever occur to these people that maybe Hispanics in the United States, especially those who came here legally, don't think that it is their interest to have a completely open border and flood the country with foreign nationals just because they have roughly the same hue of skin as, as that, that they do? Did it ever occur? No, of course not. They're just so freaking smug. They are frequently wrong, but they are never in doubt. And they are doubling down and they are not going to give up their narrative. And it looks like it's going to absolutely destroy them on Tuesday. Hence, Governor Bateman's, Governor Newsom's prediction. Now, one thing that we are doing in this culture and economy that is completely opposed to us is we are building a parallel economy so we don't need to give our money to corporations that hate our guts. That's why you got to check out Black Rifle Coffee. Right now, head on over to Black Rifle Coffee, use code Knowles. While today's coffee often comes with hints of soy and social justice, Black Rifle delivers an entirely different experience. Bold, strong, delicious. Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee that gets me through my day. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-founded and operated. Their mission is to help service members successfully transition from the military into entrepreneurship. They provide assistance to veterans who seek to launch businesses of their own with the goal of helping more companies like Black Rifle become a reality. Black Rifle is committed to hiring 10,000 veterans, and they're well on their way. As for the coffee itself, which is actually what I care about even more than all the good that the company does— uh, for veterans and for the United States. I really, I'm very particular about my coffee. They're very selective about where they source their coffee and beans, and they're very disciplined when it comes to ensuring the freshness of every single bag. Go to blackriflecoffee.com, use promo code Knowles for 10% off your first order, or when you sign up for a new Coffee Club subscription. That subscription gives you free shipping on all Coffee Club orders, early access to club deals and promotions, and special discounts from their partner brands. That's blackriflecoffee.com, promo code Knowles for 10% off your first order, or when you sign up to become a coffee club member. Black Rifle Coffee, supporting veterans and America's coffee. I just saw the most nauseating news story I have ever seen in my entire life. And it came out yesterday, and you paid for it, actually. 
No, you didn't pay for it with your Daily Wire subscription. You paid for it with your tax dollars because it was on NPR. And I'm going to urge listener discretion right now and viewer discretion. If, if you have a weak stomach, just skip forward one minute right now. Just one minute, that's all it's really going to take. Because NPR aired the audio of a woman's abortion. NPR aired the, the room with the doctors, you know, with the abortionists, and a mother murdering her own child. And play the tape. She's from Michigan. She already has one kid. She's having her abortion at about 11 weeks. Nearly all abortions in Michigan are before 13 weeks. Put a pause right there. I just had, well, I didn't just have my second child. My wife had my second child. But, you know, it's, it's a group effort, at least to some degree. I participated, at least, you know, in the very beginning. And uh, we would go to the sonograms. 11 weeks, not only do you know the sex of your child, not only are the basic features of your child quite formed at that point. 11 weeks, that baby is a baby. That baby is moving around. That baby is recognizable as a baby. 11 weeks is, is pretty far along. And so they're saying this, this woman who's already got one child out here in the world is going into this room to murder her child who is 11 weeks, who is, you know that this baby is a baby. You know, mothers, mothers know really instantly, but, and, and you know that this mother knows that this baby is a baby because the mother is crying in the audio and it's not tears of joy. Again, if you've got a weak stomach, just skip ahead one or two clicks right now and you'll move past the audio. I think it's important to hear it though, because I think that this news story completely backfired on NPR. And like many patients at Northland, she said I could record her procedure. We're going to hear some of that now. So I am just going to get you set up on the table, and we're going to do that sedation medicine. Okay. I'm going to pull this out under your legs. Most patients are partially awake during the procedures. They get IV medication for pain and anxiety. The lights are dimmed. There's soothing music. It actually feels a lot like a childbirth. The medical gown, your bare legs and stirrups, and a person next to you saying... You can do this. Use your hand and just keep breathing. That's Brandy. She's one of the staffers. Her job is to monitor vital signs, but it is also to hold the patient's hand and talk her through this. Whether it's a birth or an abortion, it is often women guiding other women. You're going to hear this machine turn on now. Okay, it makes a loud noise. Blow it out, blow it out, breathe through it, breathe through it, blow it out. Listen to me, blow it out. If you hold your breath, it just makes it harder for you. Keep breathing. Keep just breathing. keep breathing, Brandy tells her over and over. I can't, the patient says at one point, when the cramps get painful. Yes, you can, Brandy tells her. You're doing it. And then within just a couple of minutes, it's over. Take some deep breaths for me. Catch your breath. You did it. Thank you guys so much. You, did. you are welcome. You did. Oh, I hope I didn't. I didn't do too bad. You, you, you did great. <laughs> you did just fine. Yeah. I 
really went back and forth over whether to play that on the show or not, because it's truly nauseating. And I bet that I, I bet that many of you are sick to your stomach hearing it. And it's not because you haven't, it's not because you haven't seen violence before or heard violence or probably seen or heard people die on video. I mean, we see crime videos, we've see, seen videos from war, real video. I'm not talking about Hollywood or anything like that. You, you've seen news footage from wars. You've, you've, you've seen crime videos. You've, you've probably seen or heard people die before. There's something especially nauseating about this, even compared to crime videos or war videos because it's a mother doing it. And the way, the way that this NPR host introduces it, she says, you know, it's in many ways, this procedure is a lot like giving birth. Yeah, it is because you are giving birth. It's just instead of giving birth to a living baby to nurture this baby and care for this baby as you ought to do, you're giving birth to a baby that you've likely already killed in the womb. And then you're giving birth to it to throw them away in the trash. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just nauseating. And someone wrote in when this story was going viral. The, re- the reason I ended up deciding that we should play it on the air is because this was, this was on national public radio. This was as public as it could possibly be. Public in the sense that, yes, it was aired in, on a mainstream platform, but public in that our political system paid for it. You paid for, for this to, to air. And I believe the reason that NPR chose to do it, because NPR is very far left and why we fund it, I have no idea. But the reason they chose to do it is because they think that it's going to destigmatize and demystify abortion. Well, yes, it will demystify abortion because it will get rid of the euphemisms that people always use. Reproductive rights, women's health care, all these euphemisms that are actually are deceptive, that actually not, not only do they sugarcoat the pro- procedure, but they, they invert it. They say it's, it's reproductive. It's not. It's the opposite of reproductive. They say it's healthcare. It's not healthcare. It's murder. And, and so it, it demystifies it, but I don't think it destigmatizes it. I think it, it really demonstrates to people why there is a stigma around abortion. There's a stigma around abortion because it's the murder of a child. And so I think it completely backfires, and I think it's actually important to amplify this for, for people to see, to, to, and to hear, to hear the reality of it. Some mouthy lib that I saw on social media when I posted this along with other people, uh, said, oh, you're so sickened by this. What, you've never seen video of a school shooting? And I thought, first of all, no, I, I never have seen video of a school shooting. I don't, I don't know that anyone has. Are there videos of the school shootings? I don't think so. But furthermore, even if such a thing existed, this would be worse. Be, because killing is a fact of life. This is a fallen world and it's a sin that just exists. There is murder in the world and there's war and there's just regular street murder and there's even, there's even murder in high schools and there's even murder of poor little children, all these things. But it's even worse when the murderer is the mother. It's so much more perverse. I mean, this was Mother Teresa's speech to the UN. She said the, the biggest problem in the world today, the, the, the cause of, of political evils more so than any other cause is abortion. Because if a mother can kill her own child, then there's nothing that, that anyone won't do. Absolutely horrifying stuff. And in the face of this horrifying stuff, is it any wonder that people are turning away from the Democrats? That NPR audio, that was their election strategy. 
because they couldn't run on anything else. They were running on that. And why is it not working? Because when the reality of what the Democrats want, or what the libs want is presented to people, they see that it's horrifying. Once you get past all the euphemisms and all the mealy-mouthed BS language, you just, you, what you hear is the, the vacuum turn on. And, and you, you say, wow, I, we can't have that. And, and this is, even people who were so personally offended by Donald Trump, even the, the squishes and the moderates and the never Trump conservatives and whatever, all of these people who endorsed Joe Biden, you're seeing them move away now. Forget about the libs, the kind of moderate libs like Bill Maher or Joe Rogan or Elon Musk, who you've seen for much move much more to the right. But even someone like George Will, who was a major conservative writer, and then he went full on never Trump, and he endorsed Joe Biden, and he voted for Joe Biden. Well, George Will has even come out. It's one of the most anti-Trump voices in the country. And he just came out and he said, for the good of the country, Biden and Harris should bow out of the 2024 election. Even the people who were, who, who made such a show of endorsing Joe Biden are having buyer's remorse. The collective leftist meltdown that is going to occur on election night next week, I think it's going to be glorious unless some water pipes break, unless some votes come in in Philly at three in the morning. I think truly nothing could match it. I will say a close second is everything that we're rolling out here at Daily Wire Plus. Episode two of Jordan Peterson's new series on marriage is out. This episode is all about negotiating or uh, should I say, learning the proper way to negotiate. Also available now is Candace Owens' brand new episode of her show Taboo, featuring special guest and multi-platinum selling musician M.I.A. You will hear her uh, rise to fame and uh, how she was canceled for speaking out about vaccine mandates, among other topics. Then there's Ben Shapiro's Sunday special, which is releasing this Sunday. Ben sat down with Tennessee Governor Bill Lee to chat about school choice, fighting through COVID policies, and more. Last up, Daily Wire Plus has just released the documentary film, My Dinner with Trump. This is a behind-the-curtain look at the former president and his closest advisors as they have a dinner together at his private club at Bedminster. If you're not a member, there's never been a better time to join. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles to become a member today. George Will has come back around. He left the GOP because he hates Trump so much. He endorsed Joe Biden because he hates Trump so much. And he says, for the good of the country, Biden and Harris should bow out of the 2024 uh, election. He says, Joe Biden should not seek another term. Democrats should promptly face that fact. Uh, and this one, an Everest of evidence shows that Vice President Harris is starkly unqualified to be considered as his successor. And then he goes through the litany of terrible things that Biden has done. I'm glad he has bu buyer's remorse. I'm glad he realizes, albeit late, that he made a mistake. I'm not sure that, that George Will would ed, ed say I was wrong to vote for him in 2020, but he's effectively saying that when he says that Biden and Harris are not fit to be president, neither of them. I prefer people that got it right the first time. I'm all for grace for the people who get things wrong and then way after the fact, they say, oh, actually, you know, uh, maybe you guys weren't, weren't totally wrong. But when, when I think of the moral preening that we heard from people like George Will, whose writing I've enjoyed for much of my life. But the, the preening, the, the constant haranguing of those allegedly unprincipled conservatives who voted for Trump. Certainly in 2016, we heard this. And then in 2020, we heard it too. And, and now they come around and they say, wow, gosh, golly, look at this. Joe Biden has completely destroyed the world. And Kamala Harris is also not fit to be president. And I think, yeah, 
yeah, you're right. We were totally right, man. And you were totally wrong. And it wasn't just that it was an honest disagreement. You harangued us and you called us immoral and you called us stupid and you called us unprincipled and all the rest of it. And we were right and you were wrong. And this is just how it goes with especially political punditry. It's, it's kind of like sports punditry too. It's just these guys go on TV and they get everything wrong every single day and all their predictions turn out to be bogus. And then they're invited back the next day for some reason. This is why I can't wear my Nostradamus hat too much is because if I, if I keep showing that my predictions are more often correct, then I'm going to lose my job because you're not allowed to have correct predictions and be a political pundit. <laughs> you're, not, you're not allowed to be in politics if your predictions are right, okay? And, but it, it just, it can be very frustrating for those of us, there are many people listening who were right about Trump from the beginning and they faced all sorts of abuse because because we were right and the other guys were wrong, or who were right about COVID from the beginning. And we faced all sorts of abuse and we were called idiots and we were called murderers and we were called uneducated and whatever. And we were right and they were totally wrong on every aspect of COVID, on the origin of COVID, on the masks, on the distancing, on the vaccines, on everything. We were right and and those people were wrong. And and it's, the, the lesson to take from this is not I think one of vendettas and vengeance and, you know, even casting George Will into the outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. I'm all for bringing people back in. If they, if they come back and they even tacitly admit, okay, you were right, I was wrong, I'm back on the team now, I welcome people back onto the team. But it is a lesson for, for, for all of us when we're listening to voices and when we're looking for people to read and, and listen to on, on what's going on in politics. It's good to take note of who got things right and who, who got things wrong. I'll probably still read George Will sometimes because he's a good writer. His prose is just very good, but his political perception is not what it once was. It's totally, totally off because these people allowed themselves to be driven crazy by their personal and irrational hatred of Donald Trump. It, it also, when people spend too much time in the beltway and too much time in the fancy circles, and they, they just get divorced from reality. That's just what happens. Uh, there was an amazing divorce from reality we saw. Uh, the United Nations just uh, tweeted out, uh, this was from UN Women, a big warning about journalists being killed. And they, here's the statistic. They say, of all journalists killed in 2021, 11% were women. In 2020, this was 6%. On International Day to End Impunity for Crimes Against Journalists, let us say out loud, stop targeting women journalists. Hashtag protect journalists. Let me, I'm going to look at those numbers again. Of all the journalists killed, 11% are women. Stop targeting women. So hold on, if 11%, what's 100 minus 11? That's 80. 89% of the journalists killed are men. 11% of the journalists killed are women. Would you, would you say that constitutes a targeting of women, would seem to constitute a targeting of men. Or just journalists generally, they probably weren't paying much attention to the sex at all. In what world is this targeting women? Well, what this tells you is a fact of our culture, which we've talked about for a while, and it's just becoming clearer every single day. Men can never be the victim unless they've got something that makes them transgressive or subversive or otherwise diff- different from the norm. So if they're gay or trans transvestites or something like that, then they can get some points and some sympathy. But, but men who are just regular old men who behave like men who are just normal, 
they can never be the victim according to our culture's narrative. In the same way that white people can never be the victim. Everything white people do is wrong. If white people eat taco bowls on Cinco de Mayo, that's cultural appropriation. If white people don't eat taco bowls on Cinco de Mayo, that's cultural erasure. There's nothing they can do that's right. If men assert themselves, they're toxic. If men don't assert themselves, they're incels. There's nothing they can, they're always terrible. And it doesn't matter if men die younger. It doesn't matter if men in this, in this case of this statistic are being disproportionately killed, you know, overwhelmed. They constitute almost every journalist that's killed almost is a man. 89% doesn't matter. Their pain is not only doesn't matter, but it's something to mock. It's something to laugh at. And, and we, we can yell until we're blue in the face about the hypocrisy, but the takeaway from it is the, 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 liberal establishment just hates men and hates white people and, and, and broadly speaking, hates conservatives. And even though it, this is not a, a fair conflation, they conflate all three of those things. And so you're never, you're never going to get really anywhere by pointing out the hypocrisy. You might be able to persuade some people in the middle or some people who are on the fence, or you might be able to you know, encourage conservatives to see this thing more clearly. That's what we're trying to do now. But you're never going to convince the libs to you'll say, nay, guys, you're being hypocritical. You're not being nice to the men or the white people. or the it, They don't care. They don't like us. Okay? They don't like us. They don't consider us legitimate participants in our democracy. That's why when the Republicans win, the Democrats reject the election results because they don't consider us legitimate participants in our sacred democracy. And when the libs win, now we don't really buy those results because the libs rig the elections and brag about it. The the libs keep telling us everywhere. They say, it's going to take days. It's probably going to take weeks to count all the votes. And my question is, why are the Democrats so confident that it's going to take days and weeks to count the votes? Isn't there a chance that we know the results on election night like we did for all of American history until five minutes ago? Until the Trump administration when the libs lost their minds? Isn't there a chance that we know the results? No, they're so confident. Why is that? (laughs) Why is it that they're so confident? (laughs) Because they have a plan in place to try to rig things. Now, the red wave might be so massive that it just doesn't matter, but make no mistake, the libs believe they are totally justified in doing anything illegal, immoral, to stop Republicans from winning because they believe, as Michael Beschloss said, as Joe Biden said, democracy is on the ballot. And that if they lose, the whole country is going to go to pot and we're going to ship journalists and historians to the gulag and we're going to, we're going to arrest and murder their children. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying on TV. They will do anything to stop that. Our mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Head on over to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles to get 50% off your first month. Take it away with the voice mailbag. Hello Nostradamus. First of all, greetings from Sydney, Australia. Uh, My question is, uh, there's this quote that has been incorrectly attributed to Voltaire. Uh, The quote is, if you want to know who controls you, look at who you are not allowed to criticize. Now the quote belongs to a white supremacist called Kevin Strom. However, there's uh, quite a lot of truth in it, uh, which is why I think it is often attributed to Voltaire. And my question is, is it possible for an evil man or an evil woman to say something or have an idea that from a more righteous source would be true or righteous? Um, That's it. Uh, Once again, take care. Hope to see you in Australia one day. Um, Thanks heaps. Yeah, of course. Of course that's possible. 
It's funny. I have seen that quote going around the internet and it's a reminder that whenever you see a quote on the internet, especially one that is attributed to a prominent figure like Voltaire or Ben Franklin or Ronald Reagan or Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln, uh, just assume it's a false attribution. You have to Google it yourself and you have to go down and find a legitimate citation. Otherwise, I think it's probably safe to assume the quote is not legit. And so this one is particularly embarrassing because people are posting this around because the quote seems true. It has the ring of truth to it. Uh, they post it around, and most people don't even know who Voltaire is, but they know that he's like a fancy person that, that educated people quote. And so they, they attribute it, and then it turns out it's this neo-Nazi criminal guy. <laughs> so it, that's, that's very embarrassing. But of course, bad people can say true things. Even a stopped clock is right twice a day. I mean, Karl Marx said a lot of true things. He was an, an evil man who who had extremely perverse ideas and was probably obsessed or possessed by demons. But he, he, he made some astute observations about politics. So did Lenin and Stalin. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, th- this, this gets to that problem of in politics, you know, everyone I don't like is Hitler. And so you'll say, oh, you know, I, Donald Trump just drank some water. Hitler drank water too. You know who else drank water? And you think, okay, yeah, not, not every single thing that bad people say or do is wrong or evil. Okay. <laughs> Life is a little more complicated than that. Uh, but my only other point on, on the, that quote, which the quote has certainly has the ring of truth to it. So that's why people are quoting it across the political spectrum. You also shouldn't quote Voltaire. <laughs> Voltaire was a very bad guy who had very stupid ideas. So you should not, yeah, it, I guess you shouldn't quote neo-Nazis, but also it's, you also shouldn't quote Voltaire. Okay. You should quote good, smart, virtuous people, not derelicts like, like Voltaire. Okay. Next question. Michael Knowles, your number one fan in the world coming to you right now, asking for your advice. I'm a pretty traditional guy, and I believe that the husband should have the final say in most things in a marriage. Uh, But my wife brings up an interesting point. When it comes to naming your children, who should have the final word there? Because that, to me, does seem like a category that would fall more under motherly instinct than fatherly instinct. And my wife also argues she's the one who has to carry the baby for nine months and push it out. So if there is a disagreement, she should be the one who gets the final word. Uh, So I'm just wondering what you think about this. Is this something that husbands should stand up and fight for, or is this one that the ladies can take? Thanks. Great question. I'm so pleased to hear from my number one fan. It's a very important question, but your instinct is totally wrong. The husband should have the final say in everything because the husband is the head of household. And the husband does not get the final say because, you know, he works extra hard. The mothers work extremely hard. Wives work extremely hard. And in many ways, in many cases, they work harder than the husband. That's not the, the reason the man has the final say is because he is the head of household. That is what you are signing on to when you get married, at least traditionally. These days, I guess people get married and they have like, you know, polygamous five sums and then they get divorced five minutes later. But in the traditional understanding of marriage, that's, that's the way that it, that it is. The husband is the head of the household, not because of the individual merit of the husband, but because that's what marriage is. The husband has the final say and is the, because he's the head of household. So Either the husband has the final say on everything, or he doesn't have the final say, or he isn't the head of the household. 
It's a, it is an all or nothing thing. Now, when I say the husband has the final say, I just, I, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to rule like some tyrant or anything like that. On maybe the majority of decisions, particularly pertaining to the family or the, the household, the, what the woman wants, she's probably going to get. And the head of household, just like the head of a company, just like the head of a country, will delegate most things. But ultimately, if the man is to be the head of his household, if the man is to be the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, then he's got to have the final say. That's just that by definition. And so have conversations with your wife, you know, go back and forth. Don't pick some stupid name for your kid, but you know, act like a man. What's the matter with you? Okay, next question. Hey, Michael. My name is John. I'm a student at Marquette University and a resident of Illinois. As such, I can vote in either of the Senate races, and I'm hoping that you can help me decide which would be more efficacious in the coming elections. The Wisconsin polls are very close, though Johnson seems to be pulling ahead, whereas in Illinois, Kathy Salvi, a staunchly Catholic, non-squishy Republican mom, a friend of my family's, and ostensibly the best chance Republicans have had in decades, is down in the polls by around 11 points, though there have only been a few polls since the race seems to be obviously won for Tammy Duckworth already. My friends working in the Salvi campaign think that the polls are vastly undercounting Kathy's support and are hoping to ride the red wave, but I am skeptical given the gap. Which race would you suggest that I vote in and why? Thank you so much for all you do, and hopefully I can tempt you back to Wisconsin with a cigar and a glass of whiskey upon arrival. That sounds great. I'll look forward to that next time I'm in Wisconsin. In terms of the race, I'd probably, I'd probably vote in Wisconsin. And I'd probably vote for Johnson, not, not because I think Ron Johnson is the most right-wing member of the Senate and not because I have any you know, particular affection for Wisconsin over any other state. I, I, I like Wisconsin a lot. There's a good cigar bar in Milwaukee. Uh, but just because that's the tight race. And you mentioned that, that uh, it's a red wave year and you're friends with the, the candidate in Illinois and the people on her campaign say, you know, look, the polls are under, undercounting. Maybe the polls are. Are the polls undercounting, though, and underestimating her by 11 points? Maybe the polls are underestimating her by five points, 6.7 points. I'm not saying it's impossible that she wins. She sounds great. I haven't looked into the race. I hope she wins. But when you've got a real nail-biter of a race, as we could be seeing, what the race in Wisconsin right now is five points or within five points. So I, I just, prudentially, I'd probably vote up there. I just politics, I follow that Buckley rule. You, you vote for the most right viable candidate and politics is not about perfection exactly. And it's not about idealism exactly. You've got, you've got to deal with political realities and on a nail biter, I'd probably, I'd probably vote in the nail biter race if you have the choice to vote in either. All right, next voicemail by question. Hey, Michael, I had a question about pursuing a good career for young people. Um, it seems to me that my older friends and my peers have different perspectives on this. Um, this is kind of oversimplifying it, but I would say that the older generations seem to have a perspective about work that it's just your responsibility and you have to do it. And, you know, yeah, chasing your dreams is okay, but ultimately you just have to do what's going to put food on the table. And the younger generations seem to have more of an intense focus on finding your true passion and what your calling is. And I think there's some crossover, but... Uh, what would be your advice to someone who's young, who's trying to figure out where they fit in their career? 
um, because I'm finding it really difficult to find what my sweet spot is. And it seems like a lot of employers nowadays want to know what that is. Um, and you know, I'm obviously very passionate about being able to put food on the table. Um, but there's also some truth in that you can probably find a, a much easier path to success if you're in work that you love and work that you're good at. And so I'd just love to hear your perspective on this. Thanks so much. Love the show. Thank you. I don't recommend desperately chasing your dreams. I think that's a bad idea. But I do recommend strategically and methodically and prudentially pursuing your dreams. It's it's not just follow your dreams or settle for some job that you hate that will give you a steady paycheck. There is another option there too, which is you can apply rigor and reality and logic and prudence to the pursuit of your dreams as well. I have a fake job. (laughs) In the sense that if you just look at the hours that I work, I I work all the time. I work a lot. I am there there are very few hours where I'm not doing something that somehow relates to my job for most of the week. But I feel like I am never working or at least very rarely working because I love what I do because I have a fake job because <laughs> I get to go and speak about the things that I care about and write essays and books about the things that I care about and talk to you guys on the show and get to have some influence in politics on things that I want to. So, and, and all of that fortunately relates to my job. I've worked plenty of other just pay the bills jobs. And, and as I have pursued my dreams, I've, I've gone down bad paths on my dreams and had to turn around and I've met certain dead ends and then I've kind of zigzagged. And so there, there's all of that. And then I've worked different jobs to kind of pay the bills and keep a roof over my head while I was doing that. It, it, would, be a, it would be a mistake to throw off all of your responsibilities to just chase some pipe dream that very likely will not be good for you. Very often the things that we think our dreams are, are very, are, are, would ultimately be sort of harmful for us. And God generally has better plans for us than we have for ourselves because he is omniscient and omnibenevolent and we are uh, fallen and corrupt and have little pea-sized brains. Uh, so it's, it's good, you, you ought to have a sense of where you want to go. You ought to have ambition. You ought to really apply some rigor to that thought. And you ought to pursue it, and you ought to do the right thing, and you ought to not compromise morally. And if you can do all that while meeting your obligations to your family, to your community, to your God, and if you can do all of that while meeting your moral obligations as well, and while, you know, acting with virtue, then I think that's great. I'm not, you know, a lot of conservatives on this question, they'll say, give up your dreams and just work some job that you hate that gives you a paycheck. I don't think that's true. I didn't take that advice, and I'm glad I didn't. Just like you'll often hear conservatives say, you, you, forget about it, you should never go to college, and if you do go to college, you should never study anything that has anything to do with culture or humanities. You should just study engineering or something. I don't think that's true. I didn't follow that advice. And no, if you, if you have an inclination toward philosophy or history or literature or culture, and you have any inclination or aptitude and aptitude for it at all, then yeah, you absolutely should pursue that. But don't just go take out, you know, half a million dollars in debt and have no plan for what you're going to do after. But absolutely you can do that. Come on. If we're, I don't think the conservatives are the 
political party of kill all of your dreams. Don't think of anything higher than just putting a slab of beef on the table. No, of course not. That's what the materialists say. That's what the libs say. Conservatives understand that there is much more to life and that if we want to have a, a thriving family and thriving communities and we, want, and, and we want to pursue the purpose that God has for us, that we do need to have higher ideals and we do need to have a broader view of life than just consuming stuff. All right, there's more to get to. I've got the regular old written mailbags. I'm going to get to a few of those in the member block. And then it is fake headline Friday. So I will need your help. Ben Davies has given me four real headlines, one fake headline. He's going to test my ability to understand our always absurd news cycle to parse fact from fiction. The show continues now. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.